Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. The Final Four is set in basketball's playoffs, and BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered with all the odds, props, promos, and parlays for the conference finals. Use our promo code BLEAVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody. I hope you all are having a fantabulous day. It is Thursday, May 25th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be choosing We've got a great, great show planned for you today. We are soaking it up in SoCal today. We've got two Los Angeles stories here on the show. Call it the Los Angeles podcast. We've done the Philadelphia 76ers show. Today's the Los Angeles podcast. We're going to talk about the Lakers coming up in a second here. We're going to talk about an interesting story that happened behind the scenes at USC. It was a Friday news dump, and I actually didn't hear about it until Sunday, 48 hours after it all went down, because it was just a Friday news dump in the middle of me doing afternoon radio. I didn't hear anything about this story until 48 hours later. So we're going to talk about an underreported crazy story going on at the University of Southern California. Since it's a Los Angeles day, we got Lakers, we got USC. There's only one song that we can play here on the show to set the stage, set the mood for our Los Angeles Thursday show on the Take It Easy podcast.
Let's set the stage. It is sunny outside. There's traffic all up and down the freeway. You might be cruising around Los Angeles and downtown, or maybe you're out in Westwood by UCLA. Maybe you're hanging out in Beverly Hills, but it is a beautiful, beautiful, sunshiny day in the middle of May. And the first place we're going to take you is to Los Angeles. And before we start talking about the Lakers, I just want to play an interesting sound from last week. We played this on a radio show that I did, Cattles and Rami, afternoons 2 to 6, Sacktown Sports. You can find it on YouTube if you want. I won't be filling in on that show this week. But you can catch me mornings this week, 6 to 10 a.m. on Sacktown Sports 1140, filling in as a producer. Just a plug for my actual job that pays actual paychecks. I want to play this sound because it sets the stage well for what we want to talk about, about the Lakers being on borrowed time this season in the Western Conference Finals. This is LeBron after Game 2, so this was the game where the Nuggets went on a 15-1 fourth quarter run. They hit five three-pointers. Jamal Murray yelled bang at Mike Breen, a sound we played on Monday's episode of the show if you want to hear that. Here's LeBron James talking about not being a single elimination tournament and going back to Los Angeles. This is not the NCAA tournament. It's the first, first team to four wins. And uh, we have an opportunity to go home and play great basketball and home serve. You know, until the team beats you uh, four times, then you always have an opportunity to come out of it. You know, so um, that, that's the confidence that we should have. And I know it's, it's going to be a, it's a tough hill to climb up, but we still have an opportunity to, um, you know, play good basketball and, and, and play the best basketball of the series in game three. That was LeBron James at the podium after Game 2, and I think this sets the stage well because, obviously, by the time you're listening to this, the Lakers will be eliminated from the postseason. And every time we have a team, or at least an interesting team, eliminated from the postseason, we like to do what I call eulogies, things that look back at the season that was, the current state of the organization, maybe it has to do with the coaches or the players or Some sort of take that is unique, some sort of observation that I find interesting about a team as their season comes to an end, and very often we don't end up talking about them for months at a time. In football, we did this with uh, the Panthers and the Steelers and the Raiders and the Broncos. We did it with most of the playoff teams like the Buffalo Bills and the disappointment that they had. We did it with the 49ers. We did it with the Cowboys. We did it with all of these teams And in the NBA, we've done it with the Washington Wizards and the Portland Trailblazers and the Utah Jazz, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Atlanta Hawks. Dozens of teams get eliminated. We did one on the Phoenix Suns last week you might find interesting. You can check that out in the previous feeds on this podcast. Wherever you're listening, just scroll down like five episodes. You can find our Phoenix Suns eulogy from last week, talking about Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Kevin Durant's trade and how all of those teams had to give up significant pieces of their current core without having the opportunity to really make wholesale changes and how next season will be the best year for Cleveland, Minnesota, and Phoenix and about how those teams will go as far as Donovan Mitchell, Anthony Edwards, and Devin Booker take them because those are the best players on those teams. Don't get it twisted. Kevin Durant is the second best player on the Phoenix Suns and we should be talking more about how Kevin Durant is the second best player on the Phoenix Suns. So after teams get eliminated, we like to do eulogies. And this is talking about the Lakers, which I'm going to preface here on the front end. 
if we're going to do a Lakers eulogy, we are not going to talk about predictions for what's going to happen next with the Lakers. Because for as much as I have been 1,000% correct about the Denver Nuggets all season long at every turn, saying they would go 12-3 and through the Western Conference playoffs, win the West without facing an elimination game, Jokic would win his third MVP. He didn't ultimately win his third MVP, but had the best efficiency rating in the sport. And you've heard a lot of people who voted for Embiid saying if they had to do it over again, they might vote for Jokic. Besides the point, Embiid and Jokic were both equally good this season. Jokic had a higher efficiency rating by like 0.1. And for those who don't know, efficiency rating goes like the best in the sport is 32. So a 0.1 difference is like Jokic was less than 1% better than Joel Embiid this year. As much as I've been right about the Denver Nuggets, I have been wrong about the Lakers for the last two years. Because when they traded for Russell Westbrook... My analysis of the trade was, under most circumstances in the NBA, the team who gets the best player in a trade usually wins. So the Lakers traded for Russell Westbrook and gave up a player not as good as Russell Westbrook. I assumed the Lakers would win that trade. Lo and behold, it was an abject disaster. And through all of last season, I doubled down on the Lakers will figure this out. The Lakers will figure this out. The Lakers will figure this out. They'll make the playoffs. They'll go on a deep playoff run, maybe win a playoff series with Westbrook. And just didn't happen. Never came around. Missed the play-in tournament altogether. Just never worked out for the Lakers. And so this year, when they started 2-11, ran it back with Russell Westbrook, I said they would not make the play-in tournament again. Doubled down on last year was not the aberration. Last year was the trend for the Lakers and doubled down on they would miss the play-in tournament again. And the one thing I did say that I felt good about with the Lakers, like being correct about, because I've been just straight up wrong about the Lakers at every turn for two years. When they traded for Russell Westbrook, we talked about this with the Milwaukee Bucks and how you can't keep the same core of your team together for four and five years without reinventing yourself and trying to go all in. Like the Blazers kept Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum together for seven, eight seasons, but they never went all in for a championship. They were never championship caliber good. They had an opportunity to trade CJ McCollum and draft picks for Anthony Davis back in 2019. I was saying they should do it. They did not. And then we've seen what's happened since then with the Blazers, where the GM gets fired and the coach gets fired and CJ McCollum gets traded for two first-round picks and they've been tanking for the last two seasons. If you're going to go all-in with one of the best players of their generation, you cannot go more than four or five years in the structures and systems of the NBA without reinventing yourself. Because the salary cap makes it that all your money gets spent. You can't add new players. You have to trade all your draft picks unless you're like the Golden State Warriors and you draft three Hall of Famers. And you have to reinvent yourself because the players just get older. And so the Lakers, when they traded for Russell Westbrook, I did feel good about saying this is their last all-in move. Russell Westbrook is on the team for two years. They can't get out of that contract. They have no future draft picks to trade from. This is it. Their team for the next two years is 
Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and a mishmash of pieces. And they brought Russell Westbrook back because they couldn't get a deal to move Russell Westbrook anywhere. I know there was talks about the Miles Turner and Buddy Heald Indiana Pacers swap for Westbrook. They wanted the 2027 and 2029 first-round picks from the Lakers. There was a report from Shams that the Lakers brass all met together, Jeannie Buss, uh, Kurt Rambis, Rob Palinka, some of the, the the brain trust of the organization met together and agreed they weren't willing to give up the 2029 first round pick. And so they brought back Russell Westbrook, despite the fact that LeBron was privately out on Russell Westbrook and making it clear through leaks that he was out on Russell Westbrook, that the team had soured on Russell Westbrook. It was uh, described as like an ultimate locker room cancer situation and... They brought back Russell Westbrook because they had no recourse for improving the roster outside of bringing back Russell Westbrook and changing the coach and hoping that would solve it. And then they got to the trade deadline and they could just straight up cut Russell Westbrook, like buy him out, take the L. They'd be better off without him and paying his salary than having him on the roster. And what they ultimately did was if you follow the chain of command on the trade, They basically traded Russell Westbrook for Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. Replacement level players. They traded Russell Westbrook for Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt, and then they gave up their 2027 first round pick, top four protected, in exchange for one guaranteed season of D'Angelo Russell. Now, they could always re-sign him to a deal, and then they're, again, financially hamstrung because they have another expensive point guard while Anthony Davis and LeBron James both make the max. But they basically gave up a 2027 first-round pick, top four protected, for one guaranteed season of D'Angelo Russell. And when they made that trade, and when they flipped some second-round picks for Rui Hachimura, and when they flipped uh, Thomas Bryant to the Denver Nuggets and made that those second-round picks a little bit more palatable to give up because they got uh, a second-round pick in exchange for Denver. When they flipped Thomas Bryant for Rui Hachimura, when they flipped Russell Westbrook for Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt, and when they flipped D'Angelo Russell in exchange for a 2027 protected first-round pick, it solved a lot of the problems for the Lakers that then allowed Anthony Davis to be Anthony Davis. And... I'm going to link the podcast that we did talking about the evolution of Anthony Davis because if you want to talk more about the the development of Anthony Davis or LeBron James, we did a 30-minute podcast on it a couple weeks ago when they were beating up on the Golden State Warriors. It was actually recorded after that game when Anthony Davis, like in 16 possessions, had three deflections, or sorry, four deflections, three blocks, and, and two steals. And it was like one of the most remarkable defensive performances and they held the Warriors to 12 points in 16 minutes of basketball. We did a whole show on the evolution of Anthony Davis and you can check out that podcast with the link in the description to this episode. What's so interesting about the Lakers from that standpoint is the Lakers went as Anthony Davis went. Just as the Suns go, as Devin Booker goes, as the Timberwolves go, as Anthony Edwards goes, how far they will advance in the playoffs is dependent on that player specifically. And we talked about how when Anthony Davis was traded from the the Timber from the Pelicans to the Lakers, he was 24 years old, and he's now 30. 
and he's been through the gauntlet of injuries, and he's also been the best player on a team that won a championship. I know LeBron James won finals MVP. Anthony Davis was the best player on that team that won a championship. And this is a season where the Lakers turned... D'Angelo, or sorry, turned Russell Westbrook into Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. Not rotational players at the end, but still impactful players. Bench guys, like Russell Westbrook was at the end. And they flipped D'Angelo Russell for a 2027 first round pick. And they got to a conference final when they had no business making it out of the play-in tournament. If Anthony Edwards doesn't shoot two for 17 in the first round play-in game when it was the seven versus eight, if Anthony Edwards doesn't go two for 14, sorry, I said two for 17. If Anthony Edwards doesn't go two for 14 in that game that went to overtime, the Lakers are either the eight seed losing to the Nuggets in the first round, the way they're getting smoked right now, or they don't make the playoffs altogether. Like, the Lakers incredibly, incredibly overachieved. And so if the question is going to become, what are the expectations for the Lakers next year? Like I said, I'm not going to make predictions about next year. But if I were a Laker fan, there's a difference between being, like, a a front office executive or whatever else, someone who's building up the team. If I were someone who had a rooting interest in the Lakers, set my expectations at zero. The Lakers were operating on borrowed time. Borrowed time LeBron James, because remember, he broke his foot in March. Borrowed time on a LeBron James playoff run. Borrowed time on a team being good enough around Anthony Davis to make it to the conference finals, which has not happened since 2020 and never happened before that. There has never been a team with enough competence around Anthony Davis to a, a Hall of Fame generational talent. Because again, if I asked you to name who are the five best players from age 26 to age 30 right now, it is Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, Anthony Davis, Devin Booker. Anthony Davis is a first ballot Hall of Famer, one of his generation's greatest players, and the best player on a team that won a championship. It never happened since 2020, and it never happened before 2020, where Anthony Davis was the best player on a franchise that surrounded him with enough competence to win a championship and compete for a championship. This is the second time that's ever happened. Lakers won two playoff series against a Memphis team that was better than them all regular season and against a Warriors team that they were better than. Although if they had played Sacramento, Sacramento would have beat them. They beat the Memphis Grizzlies, who were better than them all season, and they beat the Warriors in a second-round playoff series where the Warriors were clearly outmatched. That's borrowed time. The Lakers won on borrowed time. This season was not supposed to happen. This season was not in the cards for the Lakers. And again, if Anthony Edwards doesn't shoot 2-for-14 in a play-in game against the Lakers, 7-versus-8... The Lakers get bounced in the first round by a sweep against the Denver Nuggets. None of this happens if not for their draw in the playoffs and the incredible play by Anthony Davis and a roster of competence. Everything that happened with this season for the Lakers was borrowed time. Borrowed time, like I mentioned a second ago, borrowed time on LeBron James, borrowed time on being able to flip that first round pick into 
D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura and Malik Beasley and uh, was it uh, Rui, I said Rui oh uh, Jared Vanderbilt able to f- get four players for Russell Westbrook Thomas Bryant and a first round pick being able to get LeBron James back with the broken foot all of that was borrowed time for the Lakers this playoff run was borrowed time this back end of the season was borrowed time for the Lakers I have no expectations for the Lakers going forward. I'm not going to make predictions about what that means. I will just say I think the Timberwolves will win more games next year than the Lakers. Which means the Lakers probably win 10 more games than the Timberwolves next year. Because everything I say about the Lakers has been incorrect over the last two seasons. Lakers are operating on borrowed time. And if you're a Lakers fan, smile that it happened. Don't be sad that it's over. All of this was borrowed time. All of the expectations were zero. I don't know how this Lakers story comes to an end. They made it through the most wide open second place spot in the Western Conference. The most wide open Western Conference finalist spot of the last six years. Because again, Denver, I said it from the beginning, Denver was going to win the West without facing an elimination game. They were that much better than their entire competition in the West. The Lakers made it through a wide-open gauntlet in the Western Conference, a Western Conference that has four of the next generation's best players, as things stand right now. Luka Doncic, John Morant, Zion Williamson, Anthony Edwards are four of the next generation of superstars' greatest players. Once Jokic stops winning the MVPs, Giannis, Embiid, the pendulum is going to swing back around to... Ja Morant, Zion Williamson, Luka Doncic, and Anthony Edwards dueling it out in the Western Conference for four or five seasons. I don't know how this Lakers story ends. It's already ended in a more positive light than any could have anticipated five months ago. And so enjoy it, Laker fans, or enjoy it, anyone who has a rooting interest in the Lakers. Because I don't know how this thing is going to end, and I am done making predictions about trying to figure out how things are going to go for the Lakers. So let's talk about the University of Southern California. You know, the University of Southern California, the Trojans, the palm trees. You got to keep that vision in your head that we talked about earlier. The school that LeBron James's son is going to play basketball at, which, by the way, is not what we're going to be talking about today. We are not going to be talking about LeBron's son deciding to play at USC. We're not going to talk about Caleb Williams and his NIL valuations. We are going to talk about administrative misconduct at USC because on Friday of last week, there was a Friday news dump that I didn't learn about until Sunday that the athletic director for USC, Mike Bone, had resigned from his position. 
And I'm going to read from the LA Times report that came out on Friday and was updated as the week had gone along based on new information. And Ryan Carty, I'm going to assume that's how you pronounce it. It's K-A-R-T-J-E. Ryan Carty is the reporter. And again, there were a lot of people who put in the reporting that went into this story with USC. Ryan Carty reports on what happened with the LA Times and Mike Bone. So USC Athletic Director Mike Bone resigned Friday one day after the LA Times asked him and USC about internal criticism of his management of the athletic department. Bone made inappropriate comments about the physical appearance of female colleagues, including remarks about their dress, hair, and weight that staff members said made them feel uncomfortable, according to two USC sources with knowledge of the incidents. They spoke on the condition of anonymity fearing retaliation. They said Bone's comments left colleagues, especially women, feeling awkward. Three USC sources said several people confronted Bone about comments they felt were inappropriate, but they continued. The Times spoke to six USC sources who raised concerns about his management of the department. Several described him as a poor manager who missed meetings he was expected to attend and was often absent from key events, including USC national championship victories. Multiple sources alleged employees left meetings with Bone without direction and that he shied from difficult conversations. Two former USC coaches told the Times that Bone's leadership of the department was a primary reason they left. So I just want to pause right there. Mike Bone, the athletic director at USC since 2019, resigns as the LA Times approaches the school and approaches Bone about misconduct overseen by him during his time at USC. I want to zoom all the way out and get historical context on this story because this story is wild at USC. So USC in 2010 goes under probation by the NCAA because of everything that happened with Reggie Bush and Pete Carroll leaves to go to the Seattle Seahawks and all that bullshit of NCAA violations, Reggie Bush getting a house, Reggie Bush getting a car, all good stuff. Reggie Bush ended up go all stuff that also would probably be legal now under NIL. Reggie Bush uh, gives back his Heisman Trophy. USC goes on probation. Pat Hayden, who used to play football at the school, is named the athletic director at USC. Pat Hayden and Lane Kiffin have a wild transition at USC. In part, Lane Kiffin leaving Tennessee in the middle of the night and then burning mattresses on campus. Everything that happened with Lane Kiffin afterwards at USC, just a wild story altogether. So Lane Kiffin, crazy dude, four years at USC with Pat Hayden as they go through transition. Team is not very good, et cetera, et cetera. Lane Kiffin gets fired. They hire Steve Sarkeesian from Washington. He's from Los Angeles. Steve Sarkeesian gets hired as head coach at USC. Steve Sarkeesian gets fired after two seasons at USC. After, and the straw that broke the camel's back is 
drunken Steve Sarkeesian getting up on a table at a event for USC donors and drunkenly slurring as he stood on a table. And then that's what ended up getting him fired. He goes into alcohol rehabilitation. Um, he hadn't shown up to a practice as well. And then they realized that he had some like deep alcoholism going on. And that was the end of Steve Sarkeesian. And ultimately, Pat Hayden retired after the year. So Pat Hayden retired after one, overseeing the wild Lane Kiffin era at USC and two, handling the fallout of Steve Sarkeesian's alcoholism leading to public embarrassment for for USC and public embarrassment for the football program. So after that, Pat Hayden retires, Clay Helton's the head football coach, and USC hires Lynn Swan as athletic director. Lynn Swan, wide receiver in the 1970s at USC, Hall of Fame NFL receiver with the Pittsburgh Steelers, former ABC on NFL on ABC broadcaster, guy who ran for governor of Pittsburgh as a Republican, and had zero administrative experience during his time. Because he had a connection to the athletic, uh, because he had a connection to the president of the school, he gets named athletic director as famous alumni at USC with literally zero qualifications to be the athletic director. And under Lynn Swan, they had a ridiculously stupid tenure. Just bad decision after bad decision, embarrassment after embarrassment for the program, just clearly out of his league in trying to be the athletic director at USC. One of the most crazy athletic director tenures anyone has seen in college football was Lynn Swan's four years at USC. It was ridiculous. And so Lynn Swan gets fired after four seasons. And Clay Helton remained the football coach at USC. And they hire this guy, Mike Bone. And Mike Bone comes over from Cincinnati. He had been at Colorado before that when Colorado moved from the Big 12 to the Pac-12, which was a, was a, um, what am I looking for? It, it was foreshadowing what would become of USC's move from the Pac-12 to the Big 10. Because Mike Bone got hired as athletic director at USC and they made wholesale changes to the athletic department. They got the funding to establish one of the strongest NIL programs in college football. They got the funding to give Lincoln Riley $100 million and just bought Oklahoma's program. Change college football, they just bought Oklahoma's program. Caleb Williams, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, transfers to USC, and they have one of the strongest NIL collective funds in college football. Get Lincoln Riley to just come over to USC from Oklahoma, bring his five-star prospects and his Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, and USC just copy and paste Oklahoma's program and make it to a sugar, uh, not a sugar bowl, a cotton bowl in their first season. Granted, they lost the Pac-12 championship to Utah, but they made it to within one game of making the college football playoff. Just copy and pasting Oklahoma's program. Mike Bone then oversees them jumping from the Big Ten to the Pac-12, basically shaking up the landscape of college football as we know it and 
putting the Pac-12 on shaky ground to even be able to continue. So Mike Bone, after a crazy 12 years of administration at USC, oversees establishing a giant NIL collective, firing Clay Helton for a $100 million Lincoln Riley, copying and pasting Oklahoma's program, taking the entire USC football program from the big from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. Bronny James ends up coming to USC with the same basketball coach who was there before he got there from Florida Gulf Coast. It was at Andy Enfield Enfield or something like that. So oversees all of that during his time at USC. And then out of nowhere in the middle of a Friday in May, he resigns as the LA Times starts investigating his four-year tenure at USC. That's the crazy context I wanted to put in front here. It's been a wild 12 years at the athletic department of USC. Let's go to the Los Angeles Times reporting. And we're going to start off by talking about how USC had started an investigation into the handlings of the athletic department after they had received a number of complaints about how the athletic department had been run. This is from the Los Angeles Times story, and again, the full story is linked in the description to this episode. University President Carol Fult released a letter to the USC community announcing Bone's departure. She wrote that the university had conducted a thorough review of the athletic department, including its operation, culture, and strategy ahead of USC's impending transition to the Big Ten Conference. The university retained Gina Maitso-Smith, a Philadelphia-based attorney from Cozen O'Connor, earlier this year to conduct that review, according to multiple people who attended a meeting earlier this year where the review was announced. During the meeting, USC General Counsel Byung-Soo Kim told attendees the review wasn't targeting a specific person, but instead was meant to ensure the department had a work environment that was compliant with university policy. Smith began interviewing members of the department in March. Cozen O'Connor described Smith on its website as, quote, the founder of the nation's first practice dedicated to the institutional response to sexual and gender-based harassment, violence, child abuse, elder abuse, other forms of discrimination and harassment, workplace misconduct, and criminal conduct, end quote. Smith's past work includes high-profile investigations into handling of sexual harassment and misconduct at Baylor, Virginia, and Colorado. Her institution response group was recently retained by the Cal State University system to investigate its response to a series of scandals involving sexual misconduct, harassment, and retaliation. Mike Bone was hired in November 2019 after a decade of turmoil and scandal within USC athletics. Side note, not in the story, we just outlined what that decade of turmoil and scandal looked like at USC earlier in the show. At the time, Fult hailed Bone as a man of integrity, the ideal sort of athletic director to guide USC out of a dark era. Over the past 18 months, USC had hired a nationally renowned head coach in Lincoln Riley and announced a stunning move to the Big Ten Conference. In between, Bone was recognized in March 2022 by the National Association of Collegiate Directors of Athletics as one of the top administrators in the nation, the first time a USC administrator had ever earned Athletic Director of the Year honors. In her letter, Fult says that the USC Athletic Department had, quote, transformed into a national powerhouse during Bone's four-year tenure. 
That tenure ended Friday amid questions about Bone and his leadership. Concerns were raised about Bone's conduct at Cincinnati, where he worked before he was hired by USC. Former Cincinnati head athletic trainer Rob Williams told the LA Times that he saw Bone make unwanted physical contact with women on several occasions, including touching their shoulders or backs in a way that made them visibly uncomfortable. Bone did not respond to questions about Williams' statement. Kim McGraw, who served as director of business affairs within Cincinnati's athletics from 2009 to 2019, said she saw Bone make unwanted physical contact with women, including squeezing their shoulders and putting his arm around them. She said the interactions she witnessed made her skin crawl and made the women visibly uncomfortable. Two Cincinnati Athletic Department employees said they heard Bone regularly comment about a lesbian colleague's sexual orientation. Often, McGraw said, Bone wasn't present in the department at all. She said she communicated the concern to Cincinnati's Office of the Controller months before Bone's departure for USC. By that point, she'd already shared her account of what she believed to be inequitable treatment from Bone with a Title IX officer. Among the issues she shared was her belief Bone treated her inequitably in offering larger percentage pay raises to two men she worked with when the three had split a department, a departing supervisor's responsibility equally among them. McGraw says she confronted Bone in February 2017 and later shared her account with a Title IX officer, but said she opted not to file a formal complaint. She said she retired from the department in 2019, two years earlier than she'd originally planned. She was one of five women who interacted with Bone at Cincinnati who told the Times he created a workplace that was hostile, anxious, and toxic for women. At Cincinnati, staffers were stunned he managed to make his way west. Quote, We felt as a staff he'd eventually be gone, Williams said. We had no idea he'd end up at USC. So that's the full story from the LA Times and everything that happened with Mike Bone's resignation. And I presume that the LA Times, if they were asking Mike Bone in the USC Athletic Department questions about Bone's experience at USC, that the LA Times will follow up with a subsequent report once they have the facts and details pinned down with USC administration and with the sources who they've contacted. Because they mentioned near the beginning of the article that they had two USC sources talking about Bone making inappropriate comments about physical appearance of female colleagues, including remarks about their dress, hair, and weight that staff members said made them feel uncomfortable. And then they had three USC sources say that several people confronted him about the comments and they felt they were inappropriate and that Mike Bone continued with those comments. And I presume that there are more details beyond that that the university has, including detail or that the LA Times has, including specific incidents that we will learn about in the future. Because again, Mike Bone resigned once they started asking questions about his tenure at USC. They didn't get to releasing the details as to why. The USC had investigated this. The LA Times had investigated this. 
Apparently, the L.A. Times investigation pointed directly to Bone and his leadership and specifically him having cases of sexually harassing women and making comments that made women feel uncomfortable as they talked about in the story. I presume more details will come out about the USC side of this case. And we already know from the accounts of the women that that there are specifics that relate to Bone and him sexually harassing, discriminating, and making comments about women that are inappropriate in the workplace. What the LA Times was comfortable releasing, in addition to the story about Bone and his resignation, what the LA Times was comfortable releasing was accounts of his time at Cincinnati. Once they got a lead about his conduct at USC, perhaps, the LA Times started going back to Cincinnati and asking people there about what it was like working under Mike Bone. What was the work environment like? What are some of these interactions that they had? And again, they found five female sources who confirmed Bone had uh, made unwanted contact with women, including shoulder rubs and stuff that the one person said made their skin crawl and made women very uncomfortable. Sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, retaliation against women was also part of it. Gender-based discrimination, and they mentioned the one woman who filed a Title IX report based on the inequity within the athletic department. Cincinnati had five people who went on the air that talked about the hostile, anxious, and toxic work environment, specific cases of him sexually harassing women, as well as cases in which uh, he discriminated against women in gender pay and gender equity issues. Reporting on over at Cincinnati was concrete. It was details they felt were ready to be released to the public, and they did so with the investigation. So I presume more information will come out about this. His resignation coming as soon as they went public with the story was something that I was not expecting now that we know in hindsight and a story being underreported when we're talking about sexual harassment and misconduct at an athletic department in USC that has been embroiled with scandal for close to 13 years now at every turn, whether it's Lane Kiffin, whether it was Pat Hayden, whether Steve Sarkeesian leaving in disgrace, whether it was Lynn Swan and the dozens of scandals overseen by someone who is clearly unqualified to be administration within the USC athletic department and to oversee the well-being of young people and to oversee the well-being of a billion-dollar economy, which is USC athletics, someone clearly underqualified to be a CEO, someone clearly underqualified to be leading that operation. And then you follow what happened with Mike Bone, where, like they said, he has gotten national recognition for the job that he has done at USC and behind the scenes was sexually harassing and creating a toxic work environment for the women, specifically women, that he worked with at USC. I presume more information will come out in the near future around this story. I'm interested to read more details, and I would presume if more details come forward sometime in the next uh, couple weeks or couple months with the LA Times completing their investigation that we know is ongoing now because they contacted USC asking questions about these instances, and immediately you got a resignation from Mike Bone. Within 24 hours, they got a resignation from Mike Bone as soon as the LA Times 
asked them specific questions about details they had been investigating. And again, they had two sources talking about the sexual harassment and sexual misconduct uh, going on the record and talking about that earlier, as well as three USC employees saying that Bone had been confronted about the comments they felt were inappropriate, and yet they continued. Again, they have six USC sources in here who raised concerns about his management of the department, several describing him as a poor manager who missed meetings he was expected to attend, was absent from key events. Again, they've got two former coaches. I forgot about this. Two former coaches who told the Times that Bone's leadership of the department was a primary reason they left. They've got dozens of sources they could confirm in just this part of the story. I presume there will be many more details that are to come out over the next week or so, or maybe the next few weeks or few months. We don't know how long it'll take. This reporting has to be double-checked, triple-checked, quadruple-checked. The journalism behind this has to have the details concrete and ready to present the same way the details from Cincinnati were concrete and ready to be presented in the Los Angeles Times story that came out on Friday following Bones' departure, and it's been updated in the Times since, but was released on Friday as Bone resigned from USC. That brought these details of his time at Cincinnati and initial details about his leadership at USC into the forefront. I presume that more details will come out sometime soon. Once the reporting is done, the LA Times will likely be someone who investigates this story and more information will come to light. Already, it would appear Mike Bone has been held accountable on his own accord. So we'll wait and see if more details emerge and we will report on them here on this show once the LA Times reporting comes out. I'm sure there will be a follow-up to this story sometime in the future. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Make sure to leave a five-star review, download, support all of our other projects. We got Instagrams, we got Twitters, we got other podcast projects. We've got radio shows you can check out. I've been on local radio in Sacramento about 48 hours in the last three weeks. You can find all of that at SacktownSports1140.com. If you want to buy our book, that's available with the link in the description to this episode. We wrote a book on the San Antonio Spurs and Kawhi Leonard. It's been out for a few months. You can buy that now as well. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. One more episode for this week. Looking forward to speaking to you again tomorrow. And in the meantime, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.